Hey there, you are listening to the Motherhood Elevated Podcast. I'm your host, Annette Jones, and this is episode number 48, How to Have an Extraordinary Life. You are listening to the Motherhood Elevated Podcast for women who want to find clarity of mind, create lasting emotional well-being and confidence, and achieve amazing potential. Come with me. This will be fun. everyone. Happy March and happy spring. I've been a little MIA from this podcast. Things have been busier than usual um, in my coaching business with clients and some other fun opportunities, which is great. And family life, of course, is keeping me on my toes as well. We've had a lot of big things happening over the past few months, but I have missed doing this podcast and I've got a list of some really fun topics that I want to share with you. So stay tuned. (laughs) I heard recently that a lot of times we use January and the new year as a time to have a fresh start and set goals for ourselves, but that spring is also a natural time of rebirth and renewal. Um, And so I thought, you know, the first week of spring would be a great time to get this podcast going again. So here we are, and I've really been looking forward to diving into this topic with you today. So the title of this episode, um, which you probably heard in the intro, is How to Live an Extraordinary Life. And I'm wondering, what came up for you when you heard that word, extraordinary? Did you think, wow, that sounds interesting. I want to know how to do that. Or did you maybe think, "Mm, extraordinary just doesn't sound realistic. Life isn't supposed to be extraordinary. Or did you think something along the lines of, that sounds great for some people, but I don't think I'm really the kind of person who could achieve that. Well, if you thought any of these things or something completely different than any of those, stick with me here. We are going to talk about what an extraordinary life is, at least according to the way I define it, and how it's totally possible for anyone who really desires it. So first of all, let's talk about what extraordinary even means. Really, it's just the word ordinary with another word, extra, which means more than added to it. The word ordinary means of no special quality or interest, commonplace, unexceptional. But the definition of extraordinary is remarkable, beyond what is ordinary, unusual, regular, or established. And I was thinking about this concept of what an extraordinary life is, and I realized that this is why I love coaching so much. I get a lot of questions about the difference between therapy and coaching, And the best way I've heard to explain it is that therapy is aimed at things like revisiting and analyzing your past, healing from trauma, um, diagnosing and treating mental illness. And an analogy um, I heard that I think is kind of a good visual for the roles of therapy and coaching is to think of it in terms of a number line. And zero is you're at baseline. Um, It means you're functioning, you're surviving, you're doing fine. And people who are struggling to function in their everyday lives are sitting below zero on the number line. And for for them, therapy is great at helping them get back up to that baseline, to get back to that healthy, functioning place. Coaching tends to fall more on the other side um, of zero on the number line. Um, and it incorporates a lot of the concepts and ideas behind positive psychology, which is aimed at taking you from fine and functioning and surviving to a place of flourishing and thriving. Kind of the good to great idea. Um, Coaching is designed to help you use the power of your thoughts, your emotions, your the actions you take to intentionally decide what you want your life to look like, who you want to be, what you want to achieve, what kind of 
um, life experience you want to have and then to become the creator of that. And in my experience, it has helped me to better understand the possibilities, not just for myself, but for all of God's children. We have so much potential inside of us. We just need to see it and we need to believe in it and then take the action that will help us bring that potential into reality. So it used to be that when I would hear the word extraordinary or think about what an extraordinary life would look like, what came into my mind were things like maybe winning um, an Olympic gold medal or a Nobel Prize, maybe having a really high profile calling in the church or high-ranking position in a business or even in the world, some kind of really big achievement. We might also equate extraordinary as including things like lots of money, extravagant houses or fancy vacations, uh, having lots of influence or power, or maybe accomplishing um, a really exceptional goal. And I do think that these things can certainly contribute to an extraordinary life, right? There's no question that these things fit that definition of what is beyond um, the ordinary, usual, or established. But are these things the only way to achieve an extraordinary life? Because I'm pretty sure I'm never going to be an Olympian. (laughs) I really don't have a lot of control over which church calling I have. I'm not really one to pursue a high-ranking career or status or millions of dollars. So if those things don't really appeal to me, is it still possible for me to live an extraordinary life? I would say absolutely it is. So I really think our belief about whether an extraordinary life is possible for us comes down to how we define it. I'm guessing that my idea of what an extraordinary life for me is going to be different than someone else's idea of what that means for them. And this is the beauty of each of us, not just as humans, but as children of God. We are unique. We all have individual interests and talents and strengths and gifts and desires that make us distinct and different from any other person who has ever lived on earth. So it would be silly and kind of pointless to define our lives and our influence and our potential based on what someone else has done or even is doing right now. I love the phrase, keep your blinders on. Don't look around at what others are doing to determine what you think you should be doing with your life. And we can get ideas and inspiration from others, of course. I love seeing people successfully accomplishing the things I'd like to do. That means it's possible, right? I know that if I see someone doing something great and I feel that twinge of kind of admiration, sometimes it can even feel like envy, right? We can call it that. But I think that can show us where our strengths and our desires really are and where to focus um, our time and our efforts and our energy. I can watch a professional basketball game and be amazed at their athletic talents and skills and abilities, but I've never once had the desire to be in the NBA. However, I have attended um, conferences and other events where I've listened to and been inspired by speakers, and I felt that admiration and that desire to do the same thing. I've always loved teaching. I think because I love learning and I love sharing what I learn, I always have. Um, That's why I started this podcast. And I know a lot of people think that I'm kind of crazy for loving public speaking and teaching in front of groups, but I don't know. It's just always been a part of me and something that I enjoy. Sure, it gets me out of my comfort zone. It's not always easy, and I certainly don't do it perfectly, but being able to share um, knowledge and help other people feel inspired or have breakthroughs is one of the things I feel like contributes to making my life extraordinary. So today I want to offer you a new and maybe different way to think about um, what creates an extraordinary life. And I want to offer you that an extraordinary life isn't necessarily tied to influence or fame or money or achievements, but we find it in the tiny decisions we make every day about who we want to be and how we want to feel in any particular moment. You can choose to think and to feel and to act um, out of the ordinary in any moment of any day. 
You can choose what is uncommon, unusual, remarkable, or even exceptional in any particular moment. Because you have agency. You have the opportunity to actively and powerfully choose what you want to do and who you want to be. Extraordinary living um, doesn't happen by accident, doesn't happen by default. It's a deliberate choice to live your life in a state of acting and not being acted upon. Living an extraordinary life doesn't mean you don't have challenges, but that you meet those challenges with the power of knowing that you get to choose a response and therefore your experience within that challenge. I've heard this referred to as radical responsibility. This is agency or our power to choose our thoughts, our emotions, our actions in its truest, purest form. I think a lot of times when we hear about our power to choose, we tend to think about the big challenges, those things in life that come along and just kind of blindside us. Things like losing a loved one, um, a health diagnosis, a child who's struggling, maybe a financial setback. And yes, who we choose to be and what we choose to do in those situations is important. But what I think is an even bigger determining factor in the way we experience our lives is the decisions we make about who we want to be and how we want to feel and what we want to do in the smaller everyday circumstances we find ourselves in. The interactions we have with our families and the people in our lives, the way we approach our daily tasks, the habits we establish, and especially the way we think and talk about ourselves and our lives and about others. Because who you are being in the little things is a pretty good indicator of who you will be in the big things. The way we do one thing is often the way we do everything. And that's what I love about coaching. Someone will come to me wanting help with their parenting um, or their career, but the principles will trickle into their marriage or into their health or their spiritual lives or their relationship with themselves. And so I believe, and I've seen this true in my own life, it's not the big monumental achievements or events that create truly exceptional lives. Those generally um, are few and far between. It's in the little day-to-day interactions and habits and choices that we are making that shape who we are, how we feel, what we do, and what kind of life experience we create for ourselves. And I've, I've been thinking about this concept the past few weeks, and I've really started to notice um, little opportunities to make exceptional choices in my life. So let me just kind of show you what that looks like. For me, it looks like slowing down and being more present with my family and the people in my life means actively and intentionally looking for the good and deciding on purpose how I want to feel um, when I wake up in the morning, when I'm doing the dishes or the laundry, when I'm helping my kids with their homework or working in my church calling, when I'm at the grocery store saying my prayers. All of these little tasks that I do every day can either be rote or mundane, maybe even annoying or frustrating, or they can be opportunities to feel deep joy and gratitude and abundance. So let's take grocery shopping, for example. Not one of my favorites for some reason. I don't love going to the store, loading up my cart, waiting in line, then loading everything back into the car just to unload it in the house and try to find a place to put everything. I know, poor me, right? (laughs) I'm not complaining. I'm just saying it's not one of my favorite tasks. But the other day, I needed to get some grocery shopping done. And of course, it was pouring rain. And don't get me wrong, I love the rain, just not the wet cart and soaking groceries that accompany it. And as I was walking up and down the aisles of the store, which I assumed would be empty because no one else would want to be out shopping in the rain, right? I was wrong. It was packed. (laughs) The lines are long. Another thing I don't love, um, shopping when it's busy. But I was thinking about this concept of who I was being in the little tasks of my day. And I realized that I could completely change my experience at that busy grocery store on that rainy day 
just by deciding what I wanted to think on purpose. And so I just started seeing my circumstance from a perspective of gratitude, which really is simply just looking for the good and noticing the good in your situation. And so as I walked up and down the aisles, I started to experience my little shopping trip with new eyes, like how absolutely amazing it was that I could just hop in the car, walk into a store and buy food. Really, it couldn't get much easier, right? And as I continued to look for the good, as you probably guessed, it just, it changed my experience of not just that time in the grocery store, but actually in the course of my whole day. I felt lighter, I had more energy, I was even more productive than I think I otherwise would have been that day. My efforts to make that experience extraordinary or above the ordinary snowballed and affected the way I showed up the whole rest of the day. That little shift in energy created a momentum that went with me and it wasn't like anything drastically changed, but I did make better choices. I got home and put the groceries away and then I tidied up the house a little more than I probably otherwise would have. And then I was a little more energized and present when my boys came home from school than I sometimes am. It was like that decision to choose my emotional state in that moment at the store gave me this little boost of confidence that led me to be more intentional about how I wanted to feel in the next task in my day and then the next one. So an extraordinary life happens as we choose day by day, even moment by moment, who we want to be in the here and now. I have a coach who says something to the effect of it doesn't take time to change. All it takes is a moment of decision about who we want to be in any situation. And I love that. Yes, if we want that change to become a permanent part of us, if we want that response to become our more natural um, default response, it will take time to practice. But that practice is made up of lots and lots of small but powerful decisions about who we want to be in those little moments throughout our day. Elder um, Dieter F. Uchtdorf in a recent conference address explained this concept this way. He said, as our days go, so go our lives. Do you want to change the shape of your life? Change the shape of your day. Do you want to change your day? Change this hour. Change what you think, feel, and do at this very moment. A small rudder can steer a large ship. Small bricks can become magnificent mansions. Small seeds can become towering sequoias. Minutes and hours well spent are the building blocks of a life well lived. They can inspire goodness, lift us from the captivity of imperfections, and lead us upward to the redemptive path of forgiveness and sanctification. And so to me, creating an exceptional life means learning how to shape my attitudes and perceptions and responses and actions in the little moments of my days. And those little moments will add up and actually shape the way that my life looks and feels on a bigger scale. It seems too simple, right? Too insignificant that those little tiny choices can really make a difference. But in the end, I believe they make all the difference. And striving to make our lives exceptional not only changes the way we experience our time here on earth in mortality, but it also affects um, who we are and what our experience is like in the next life and even into the eternities. Sometimes it might be easy to think that once we get to the other side, once we're in heaven, that everything will be perfect, that we'll be perfect, meaning that there won't be any problems, that everyone will just be kind and loving and have the same thoughts and beliefs and opinions, right? That's what heaven is. But I'm pretty sure that God, even in his exalted state, still has to deal with challenges. We're taught that in the premortal life, one of God's children Lucifer, who the prophet Isaiah refers to as a son of the morning, 
was an angel in a position of authority under God, a spirit with great promise, who I'm sure God had high hopes for. But Lucifer's pride got the best of him, and he ended up leading a rebellion against his father, seeking to destroy agency and demanding God's kingdom and glory and power for himself. The scriptures say that he became the devil, the father of all lives, to deceive and to blind men and lead them captive. We're told that the heavens wept over the loss of him and those who followed him. That must have been very hard for our heavenly parents, even devastating, right? But that didn't stop them from doing their work. Moses 139 states, For behold, this is my work and my glory, to bring to pass the immortality and eternal life of man. That is God's work, and it is not easy. It is not for the faint of heart or the weak of mind. God is in the business of exalting his children, which means letting them use their agency for good or bad, letting them suffer and experience all kinds of sadness, heartache, disappointment, and pain, It means sending them to live in a fallen world with carnal minds and weaknesses and fears and desires and letting them learn from their own mistakes and failures and successes and achievements and experience. It means weeping with his children when they suffer and rejoicing when they progress toward their true potential as his children. And God can't do this great work without perfectly managing his own thoughts and feelings and actions. He had to become the master of his mind in order to become a God and in order to accomplish his great work with his children. And that is what we will someday have the opportunity to do. This is what we are learning here on this earth in dealing with difficult people, navigating family and other relationships, dealing with disappointments and the agency of others, being challenged with circumstances outside of our control. We're taught that eventually, if we use our agency accordingly, it will be our turn to become like our heavenly parents and to create spirits and worlds and to give our own children the same opportunities for humanness and immortality and progression and eternal life that we have. And we will have to manage our thoughts and feelings and actions around our own children, maybe rebelling and rejecting and using their agency to cause pain and suffering. But it won't stop us from doing our work, just like it doesn't stop our own heavenly parents from doing their work. I believe that our heavenly parents have this mastered, that they have learned to perfectly manage their thoughts and their emotions and the actions they take for their children around whatever circumstance they're presented with. Because they aren't in the business of compelling or controlling, right? They believe in agency. And allowing agency also comes with the knowledge and the possibility that their children will not always choose what their parents would want or choose for them. Our heavenly father and our heavenly mother don't get thrown off by this. They don't get derailed or paralyzed by fear or discouragement. They grieve, they mourn, they weep. They care deeply about all of it, but they continue in their work because they are perfect managers of everything that they think and feel and do. And so this is a large part of what I believe we are here on earth to learn, to manage our own thoughts and emotions and actions around our circumstances and around the people in our lives using their agency. And we get a lot of practice, right? (laughs) That's what this earth life is for. Brad Wilcox says it this way, we are not earning heaven, we are learning heaven. And that is so true. So I think we mistakenly assume that when we get to heaven, it's going to be so much easier to have a heavenly personality, that we are somehow going to just magically acquire all of the godly attributes of kindness and patience 
and forgiveness and charity that all of a sudden, because we've crossed the veil and we're back in our heavenly home, that everything will be clear and then it will just be easy for us to be happy and loving and choose wisely and everything will be perfect. And I think sometimes that idea might lead to some complacency or maybe even procrastination or avoidance on doing the work of change that will help make our lives exceptional, not just here, but in the hereafter. And so I'm going to talk a little bit now in the second part of this um, episode about why I believe this is work worth doing now. I want to share with you some thoughts about why our efforts and our growth and our progression in this life are so important, why they matter now and into the eternities, and why it's important to keep going, to keep trying, even when it feels like our efforts aren't working or change doesn't come as easily as we would like it to. I remember hearing a talk from President Eyring several years ago, and he was telling about a time when he was feeling both defeated and discouraged because of the difficulty of his math and physics classes in college. I can't even imagine. (laughs) He said, as time wore on, my discouragement led me to feel that it was useless to study. I began to think of quitting and and doing something easier. It was on on a night during that time of discouragement when I received the help that made all the difference for me. I can remember it as if it just happened. Help came as a voice, an actual voice in my mind. It was a soft and loving voice, but firm. The words voiced were these, when you realize who you really are, you will be sorry that you didn't try harder. I didn't know then all that those words meant, but I knew what to do. I went to work. I felt that I must have more ability to learn than I could see in myself. And isn't that so true? So many of us have so much more capability and potential than we give ourselves credit for. And I think in this world of instant everything, (laughs) it's easy to become discouraged when the change or the results we want don't come as quickly or as easily as we thought they would. But that doesn't mean we shouldn't keep going and keep trying and keep putting forth the effort to make ourselves and our lives extraordinary. President Gordon B. Hinckley taught how different this world would be if every person realized that all of his actions have eternal consequences. How much more satisfying our years may be if we recognize that we form each day the stuff of which eternity is made. We are, with each choice we make, deciding what kind of life we create and what kind of person we are becoming. James Clear said it this way in his book, Atomic Habits. He said, every action you take is a vote for the kind of person you wish to become. No single instance will transform your beliefs, but as the votes build up, so does the evidence of your new identity. Our heavenly parents want us to use our time here on earth to develop ourselves, to make the most of our time, our talents, our abilities, and our opportunities. Why? Because these experiences and what they have shaped us into will go with us into the next life. In the Book of Mormon, in Alma 34:34, it states that the same spirit which doth possess your bodies at the time ye go out of this life, that same spirit will have power to possess your body in that eternal world. So our time here in this life is important. It's this amazing opportunity to make decisions and take actions that will help us become who we want to be in the here and now and into the eternities. Elder Melvin J. Ballard said, when we go out of this life, leave this body, we will desire to do many things that we cannot do without the body. We will be seriously handicapped and we will long for the body. We will pray for that early reunion with our bodies. 
Then every man and woman who is putting off until the next life the task of correcting and overcoming the weakness of the flesh are sentencing themselves to years of bondage. For no man or woman will come forth in the resurrection until they have completed their work, until they have overcome, until they have done as much as they can do. And Bruce R. McConkie stated that life and work and activity all continue in the spirit world. Men have the same talents and intelligence there which they had in this life. They possess the same attitudes, inclinations, and feelings there which they had in this life. So essentially what these prophets are saying is that there are some challenges or weaknesses of the flesh, as Elder Ballard referred to them, that are more efficiently or effectively overcome here in mortality. That there is some advantage to addressing and working to correct those things in this life instead of putting that process off until the next one. And that the personality, the habits, the feelings, the desires, the tendencies and dispositions that we have cultivated in this life will also go with us into the next. As I was preparing this podcast episode and thinking about this concept, a certain experience um, came into my mind that I think really beautifully illustrates this. And the more I thought about it, the more I felt prompted to include it. So I've shared with you before that a few years ago, I lost my mom to cancer. And about a year after she had been diagnosed and been through lots of radiation and chemotherapy and surgeries, her condition was still getting worse. Her treatments were taking a toll on her both physically and emotionally, and she was frequently being admitted to the hospital for weeks at a time. And on top of all this, my dad was serving as a stake president in our church, which for those of you who may not be familiar with that term, he had the responsibility of of leading and ministering to and presiding over his local area, which included about four to 5,000 people. It's a pretty big job. (laughs) And he was about five and a half years into his service. Um, Usually it's about nine years or so. And at that time, um, he decided that in order to give my mom the care and attention that she needed, that he should request to be released. And I know that was a difficult decision for the both of them. They really loved the members of their stake and this opportunity to serve, but it really felt like the right thing for my dad to do. And so in the fall of 2017, we all gathered up in Utah to support my parents on that weekend um, of their state conference when my dad would be released. And the general authority or church leader who was presiding over their state conference, um, his name was Elder Vern Stanfill. And the Friday night before the conference, he came to visit with my parents in their home. And after they talked for a little while, he asked my mom if he could give her a blessing. And she said, of course. And my dad, in recounting this experience to me the next day, said that Elder Stanfill proceeded to give her a beautiful priesthood blessing. And after he was done, he kind of paused for a moment. And then he said he felt impressed to ask my mom what her relationship with her own mother was like. And my grandma had passed away about nine years previously. But the relationship between her and my mom had been a complicated one. There were some difficult things that had happened when my mom was growing up that resulted in her putting up some walls and developing some feelings of hurt and resentment towards her parents. Now, my grandparents were wonderful, and we were so lucky as kids that my mom didn't let her own feelings get in the way of our own relationships with them. We spent a lot of time at their house um, in Southern California growing up, summer vacations, holidays, family reunions, and through all of this, I never knew until I was much older that my mom had any of those feelings. Um, But she told Elder Stanfield that night 
that she still felt some pain and sadness and even some resentment towards her mother, that it was something she hadn't really been able to resolve or let go of. And Elder Stanfield said something to her to the effect of, your mother would love to have your forgiveness. It won't be long until the two of you will be reunited and she wants so much for it to be a happy reunion. And I thought that was so interesting that that would be his impression as he gave my mom that blessing. Knowing nothing about her history or her relationship with her own mother, that he would be prompted to ask that question and to let my mom know that my grandma cared deeply about their relationship and was sorry for what had happened and wanted to make things better. And I know that experience really affected my mom. And over the course of the next few months, she was able to have a change of heart and genuinely forgive my grandma for what had happened. And my mom passed away about four months after that blessing was given. And after she passed, I had the strong confirmation that their reunion indeed had been a beautiful and a joyful one. So again, like elders Ballard and McConkie said, if we are putting off correcting our weaknesses or attitudes or feelings until the next life, thinking that we will magically have a change of heart or that it will be somehow easier or come more naturally, we might be in for a surprise. I think it's to our benefit to do as much of that work as we can in our time here in mortality. And again, that work is not just going to benefit us in the next life, but it will contribute to our peace and happiness and the experience we have in our lives right here and now. The more we can incorporate and make those godly characteristics a part of us here in mortality, the more extraordinary our lives are going to be. I've mentioned this before in another episode, but my mom used to quote the phrase, wherever you go, there you are. And what is meant by this is that so often we think that in order to have an extraordinary life, or even just a good life, (laughs) the thing that needs to change is our circumstance. Like moving to a new neighborhood, or changing schools, or going to a different ward, or finding a new partner, or making some other drastic change to get us out of a circumstance we don't like. And yes, there are some instances where someone might be in a situation that is unhealthy or maybe even abusive, where a change like that is necessary for sure. But if that's not the case, and we're wanting to change our circumstance because we think it will automatically fix our problems, we might be disappointed because most likely we are going to run into the same issues and challenges if something also doesn't change within us. I worked um, once with a teenager who um, had been pretty miserable at her at her school, so she decided to move to another school. But she was eventually met with the same problems at that school that she'd faced at her previous one. She was under the impression that just changing her circumstances would change her experience. But what she didn't realize was that if she wanted different results in whatever circumstance she was in, she needed to shift her focus to the internal changes that she could make about the way she was thinking and feeling about herself and other people. What she actually needed was a change of perception more than simply a change of location. And it sounds like that might also be the case with our experience in moving from this life to the next. When we move on to the next phase of our eternal journey, the culmination of our thoughts, our feelings, our actions, all of those are going to create the kind of person that we have become. And that is going to influence our experience and even our opportunities there. Elder Joseph B. Worthland said, We understand that we will live a post-mortal life of infinite duration. 
and that we determine the kind of life it will be by our thoughts and actions in mortality. Mortality is very brief, but immeasurably important. In fact, President Joseph Fielding Smith commented on how the choices we made in the pre-mortal realm before we came into this earth life affect us now. He said the character of our lives in the spirit world has much to do with our disposition, desires, and mentality here in mortal life. This spirit influences the body to a great extent, just as the body in its desires and cravings has influence on the spirit. Environment and many other causes also have great influence on the progress and destiny of man, but we must not lose sight of the fact that the characteristics of the spirit which were developed through the many ages of a former existence play a very important part in our progression through mortal life. And I guess that makes sense, right? That if the spirit that we cultivate here in this life will go with us into the next life, then the spirit we brought with us into this life was shaped and influenced in our last life. Now, I think it's important to remember that this idea is not meant to put pressure on us. This is not meant to turn us toward our perfectionistic tendencies and think that there is no room for error, right? It doesn't mean that we're supposed to get everything right by the end of our lives or that we can reach a point when we're done, where there's no more room for learning or progression. Um, We know that there are continual opportunities for change and growth and repentance, which by definition is change, after this life. A compassionate God wouldn't send his children into a fallen world with carnal tendencies and expect them to figure it all out perfectly, right? So there's lots of room for mercy and grace in his plan. But also, I think sometimes we can let that become an excuse um, to not be proactive in creating ourselves and our lives. We're told that whatever principle of intelligence we attain in this life, it will rise with us in the resurrection, which also means that whatever other characteristics and knowledge and experiences we attain here will go with us as well. Whatever attributes of the Savior we attain, things like faith, hope, charity, patience, compassion, mercy, forgiveness, these traits become a part of us and will influence who we are and how we progress in the life to come. Um, Ty Mansfield, referring to that scripture in Alma that I mentioned earlier, um, that talks about you know, the same spirit we cultivate in this life will go with us into the next. He explained it this way. He said, if we think we have to be fully rid of every attraction or tendency or inclination to do wrong in order to move on to the next life, we are setting a standard that we simply cannot reach. But if we allow Satan to have power to possess our bodies in this world by avoiding repentance or change, that same spirit of lacking in faith and repentance will continue to have power over us in the next world. But if we have a constant attitude of repentance and thirst for righteousness here, the spirit of the Lord will have power to possess our bodies there. Our challenges may not necessarily go with us, but our hearts or what we have become as a result of our challenges will. And I think that sums this whole concept up really well. I don't think these ideas and these teachings are meant to cause us fear or discouragement. To me, they feel inspiring and motivating to know that I can continually change and progress and create in partnership with the divine. This to me is what it means to create an extraordinary life, to decide what kind of life I want to create, what kind of person I want to be, and then commit to that and stick to it even when things get hard. I heard recently that the word decide means to cut off. So when you decide something, you are cutting off all other options. When you decide what kind of person you want to be, 
what kinds of habits you want to build, what beliefs you want to incorporate and live from, what kind of results you want to achieve, what kind of personality and attributes you want to practice. You cut off all other options. You don't make excuses. You don't quit when you aren't seeing immediate results or things aren't going exactly as you planned. You don't base your actions or your worth or your potential on outside opinions or circumstances. You live with integrity and do the right thing for the right reasons. You continue to exercise faith even when you have reasons and evidence for doubt. Tony Robbins said, The secret of living an extraordinary life is to take control of the mind, since this alone will determine whether you live in a suffering state or a beautiful state. In the end, it's all about the power of decisions. Our lives are shaped not by our conditions, but by our decisions. And that, I think, is a great place to end. (laughs) That was a long episode. Thanks for sticking with me. These are powerful concepts to learn, but they are even more powerful when you actually apply them in your life. And I know sometimes it might be hard to even know um, not just how to change, but what needs to change. And coaching is an amazing way to really get to the root of your problem and get dialed in to your situation, what's happening, why it's not working, and what you can do to really make a shift and get out of that same rut you keep finding yourself in, whether that's in a relationship with your health, your habits, um, feelings of anxiety or overwhelm. Coaching can help you really get to the bottom of it and figure out how to solve for it. I've usually got a few spots that I leave open every week um, for free coaching sessions for those of you who are interested in in coming and having that experience. And if you've been on the fence and wondering if coaching would help you, you know, in your situation, um, this is the perfect opportunity to come and see, come and get coached and work through whatever's weighing on your heart and mind. And so if you'd like to reserve one of those free sessions for yourself, you can go to my website at annettejoneslifecoaching.com and you'll find a link for my calendar there. Or you can come find me on Instagram at annettejonescoaching and send me a DM and I will take care of you. Okay, that's all for this week. Again, happy spring. And even though it might feel like winter for a few more weeks, (laughs) that warm weather's on its way, right? I hope all of you have a great week and I will meet you back here again soon. Bye now. If you like what you hear on this podcast and would like to learn more, I invite you to go to my website at annettejoneslifecoaching.com. There you can sign up for a free mini session where I'll help you see how the tools I teach on this podcast can be applied directly to your own personal challenges. You can also find information on classes I teach and get on my email list for a weekly dose of inspiration straight to your inbox. Again, that's AnnetteJonesLifeCoaching.com. I'll see you there.